Hello, Free Speech and Medicine Paradox podcast listeners. It is September 15th, 2023, the Ides of September. And um, given it's the Ides, I'm speaking to a, a very dangerous and subversive person today. Uh, Amy Ham is a nurse in BC who's going to be one of our speakers at the Free Speech and Medicine Conference, October 27th to 29th in Bedeck. Um, you can get all the information online at freespeechandmedicine.com. And there's a registration link there. Um, I'm going to speak with Amy a bit today. She's become, uh, let's say, uh, famous or infamous, depending on which side of this issue you're on. For many of us, she's been a very important voice and a bit of a beacon of sanity in the midst of a lot of crazy stuff that's happening in the last few years that many of us feel unsettled by. So, uh, Amy, thanks very much for talking to me today. Thank you so much for having me and for having me as a speaker next month. I'm very excited about this. Right on. Well, we're, we're very glad you're going to make the trip because you're coming all the way from, from BC to CB. Um, so we, we appreciate you coming all that way. Um, maybe we'll start off by just asking a bit. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself Um where where are you from, uh, your educational journey, and how you ended up being in the middle of this issue? Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a nurse, and I started, uh, before I was a nurse, I studied journalism, and um, after sort of languishing trying to do that for a few years, I wanted to go back to school and um, decided that nursing looked interesting and after so this was back in 2010 I've been a nurse for about 12 years now and probably around 2016 I started to notice online that there was a lot of strange discourse happening around uh, sex and gender um, and the ideas about trans I was actually in a group for women to talk about women's health issues and it just the the turf started popping up people started calling me a turf for saying very basic facts about biology and i just sort of went down a rabbit hole and um realized that this whole trans movement was happening and i once i realized the impact that this was having on women and girls in canada i thought there's no way that i can not say something about it um, and then at the same time that this was happening in online communities, I started to notice a creep in medicine and in nursing, uh, which now has it's full blown. It's everywhere now. It's all over pop culture. Um, but anyways, at the time, I initially started by wanting to just talk about the issue and have events to talk about gender identity ideology which I did in Vancouver. And when, when I started doing that, I think the, the first, my first foray into the controversy was trying to hold an event at the Vancouver Public Library. And that was almost canceled. So the library wanted to no platform the event. They tried to impose outrageous security fees and they ended up using the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms to try to stop the library from shutting the event down and which was successful. Um, so anyways, that was kind of how I got involved in this controversy. Um, and then now, years later, uh, currently I'm involved in a three-year legal battle with my nursing college 
the BC College of Nurses and Midwives, who may or may not take my license away for my off-duty conduct, which is basically the things that I've talked about and written about and tweeted about uh, regarding sex and gender on the internet. Uh, and this was two anonymous members of the public who complained about me after I was involved in putting up an I Heart JK Rowling billboard. You have kind of found yourself somewhat in the middle of this transition. I'm going to go back and just define a term. There may be a few of our listeners who haven't heard it, but you use the term TERF, which is trans-exclusionary radical feminist, which uh, you can maybe define it better, but I would define it as a woman who dares to say that maybe uh, a man who has transitioned to be a woman is not quite the same as a woman who was born a woman, then there are differences that we have to be aware of. Is that fair enough to define it that way? Or? Yeah, it's definitely, it's a slur that's used by trans activists. And the definition, as you said, it's trans exclusionary radical feminist, but it's used now against a lot of people. You don't have to be a feminist and in no way, pretty basically pretty much everyone is a turf and you just don't know it yet. If you, if you think that people literally can't change their sex, then you're a turf. Um, you know, sometimes people will call me a turf and then in the next sentence, they'll say something that they don't realize actually puts them in the turf camp as well. So it's pretty much a meaningless slur at this point for anyone who's still in touch with reality. Sure. Now, you had mentioned you, you've gotten some comp anonymous complaints. Um, have you ever received a complaint about your actual nursing care? No, I've been a nurse for 12 years. I've never had a complaint about patient care or anything with my colleagues this entire three year, which started as an investigation and now I'm in the um, disciplinary hearing phase, is 100% about off-duty conduct. Gotcha. So it, this is not about your ability to be a good nurse. This is about your uh, feelings about this political issue. Yeah, it's essentially about my charter rights to free expression um, and whether or not the College of Nurses is allowed to impinge upon those rights. And, you know, if I'm allowed to say something outside of the standard orthodoxy, um, outside of my job. Okay, I see. So uh, you're you're a nurse, and uh, you know that's your job, and you kind of got embroiled in this. But I had uh, first seen your name actually as a writer on Quillette, so, which you know it's mm. uh, people may not realize, but lot lots of us write things. It's not easy to get something published on Quillette, so that puts you in a certain. Uh, what would I say? A certain uh, category where you're you're not just a writer, but you're a very good writer. So may, maybe tell us, you've written for Quillette, have you written for other publications and what were these articles about? And these predate your mm -hmm. difficulties, I gather, is that right? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've done a lot of writing, even before I was uh, subject to <laughs> cancellation. I've also written for um, the BC Nurses Magazine, uh, or sorry, not BC, Canadian Nurse Magazine. Um, that obviously I would never be allowed to write there anymore because I'm a thought criminal, but, uh, I've been writing about gender and sex probably for a couple of years before I got 
more noticed publicly and canceled. Um, and I have written about medicine a couple of times for the post-millennial is another one that I write for quite frequently. And um, one of these about, I've written twice about UBC Medical School, which at some point was considered one of the most prestigious medical schools in Canada. So one time I wrote about a fourth year med student who leaked an exam question to me that essentially was asking a question in terms of STI screening and said, you should never assume that if someone is speaking about their wife, um, that their wife has a vulva, maybe their wife has a penis, that sort of thing. So that was fourth year med school. And I had a student who was very concerned about it, wanting me to write about that. Um, and then the other time, UBC med school, I think it was last year, I wrote about this group has implemented these research standards for UBC medicine, and it's all about diversity, equity, inclusion. And they essentially want all medical research at the UBC School of Medicine to, rather than using someone's biological sex, you should define your research criteria according to how someone identifies, um, which they also say in their research standards you know, someone might feel masculine one day and feminine the next day. Um, so for, as an example, if you're trying to study HIV risk in gay males, they want you to start including in your research um, females, straight females who identify as males and have sex with bisexual men. So how you, you just can't have proper medical research if you if your inclusion criteria is completely meaningless and denies the reality of biological sex so the, yeah these are the sort of things that interest me and that i have been writing about for quite some time and um, that i frankly just find absolutely horrifying mm -hmm. yeah well it is kind of confusing if we have to suddenly start screening women for prostate cancer that gets very uh uh, when it's quite deranging for uh, the medical profession when when it's compl complicated enough already without kind of yeah during the boundary between genders. It's scary, and I always thought that you know medicine might be safe from this creep of the sort of postmodern nonsense. Um, it made sense. Some not. I'm very disappointed that nursing has been infiltrated by this ideology. But I thought that medicine would be safer than nursing because nursing is not a hard science in the same sense that medicine is. Um, and I, I, yeah, it's very chilling to me to see medicine and other science, even math and physics programs starting to adopt all of this, you know, the DEI and equity, all, all of these things that just essentially are anti-enlightenment values, anti-science. Um, it's very, very concerning. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I certainly agree. So um, maybe to this is important in the context of this conversation. I, I'm going to assume, but maybe you can say it out for us. Uh, at no point have you ever said anything that you wish all trans people were uh, dead or wished ill on somebody your your statements have not been anything close to that that I've ever seen. Is that no? No, 
uh, no, I'm not a transphobic person. I've never said anything transphobic. Um, the the issue with trans activism at this point in time is that unless you believe exactly what they want you to believe, which is that you have a gender soul inside of your body that supersedes biological reality and that you can state what your sex is and that somehow changes physical reality just with a statement and an unproven and unprovable feeling in someone's mind. Um, if you reject that, then you're considered transphobic. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's hard. You're either on board with the new ideology or you're transphobic. There doesn't seem to be much in between space these days. Yeah, yeah. I think accusations of transphobia don't carry a lot of water these days. Let me ask you a very specific question. There are various theories on it, but why do you think that there are so many more people suddenly identifying as trans? I'm sure you put a lot of thought in this issue. Is there some way you can give us a thumbnail sketch of why you think that's happened? Yeah, I think there are a couple of reasons. And one, so there's this concept of the trans umbrella. Um, and it means that there are different types of people who are identifying as trans. And whereas Previously, it may have just been what we used to call transsexual people who were um, usually like gay males that were feminine and they would identify as transsexual. And now the trans umbrella includes people who have autogynephilia, which is a sexual fetish that is usually it afflicts straight males and they usually come out in their 40s. Um, and then there's all, on the other end of this, we're also including gender non-conforming youth who are being medicalized and trans. So they're showing up to gender clinics um, and they're questioning what's happening. And previously, we used to do this thing called watchful waiting, where you would let a child defy gender stereotypes, see what happened. A lot of these kids grow up to be gay kids. And now our medical system essentially would put them on puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones. So we're, we're basically what I'm saying is we're catching a lot more people and we're putting them under this trans umbrella than we used to. And there is also an ele element of social contagion. So you have young kids that are having a hard time going through puberty or maybe feel like outcasts and identifying as trans is an easy way for them to get social clout and acceptance among their peers. Uh, I think there are a lot of things going on, but it basically comes down to the fact that our definition of trans has grown so large and it includes so many different subsets and different types of people. How do you think this trans moment that we're in has affected the, the uh, concept of women's rights? Sure. When when you enshrine gender identity into human rights legislation, as we've done in Canada, you basically allow anyone who identifies as female to enter into female spaces, whether it's rape shelters, prisons, or women's sports. So in effect, women no longer have sex segregated spaces. People can, you know, predators are as we've seen, are also able to take advantage of self-ID laws. So I've repeatedly said this. I don't have a problem with trans people. I have a problem with 
self-identification policies and laws because they're not fair for women and they also uh, make it unsafe for women and children because predators can take advantage of these laws and policies. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so I've said this, the same thing before is that it's not the, the average trans person is a fine person who wouldn't do anything harmful to anyone, but there are about, uh, you know, 2% of the population, maybe 3% who have psychopathic or sociopathic tendencies who are quite willing to use loopholes and softenings of uh, boundaries to, to their advantage. Um, and as someone who actually worked in a maximum security prison, I, I like the expression. I, I learned it when I first started working in the prison. If you think there's good in everyone, you haven't met everyone. Um, so I, I, yeah. right. I do, I do think that this provides yeah, opportunity for people who, uh, oh, yeah. 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 It's um, a golden opportunity for predators. And that's how we, this is how you end up with in Ontario, this individual's name used to be Adam. It's now Tara D'Souza, a pedophile, rapist, murderer, housed in a women's prison that has a mother child program. Right. And that's the direct result of self ID. Right, right. I, I believe you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're probably close to these issues, but I believe there was a, someone with uh, who was a registered sex offender in Edmonton who was using the women's locker room in the YMCA who had recently started identifying as female. Does, does that ring a bell too? Yeah, there have been multiple, multiple instances of this happening around the world. Um, and it's interesting because when I first started speaking out about this, you would have detractors or sort of trans activists or trans activist allies or trans activist adjacent people saying it's not happening you bigot and then when it started happening they would say well that's just one extreme outlier and now that it's happening all the time it's sort of like well that it's a woman what's your problem with that bigot so it's constantly this uh, moving target and yeah they're, they they will never admit that there's anything morally abhorrent about what's happening and it so clearly is um it's harming women and children in canada in real time um the the last question i'll, I'll ask you you had touched on it before but it feels to me and other much more intelligent people than me have written about this but it feels like this is the, the trans movement is actually in some way regressive, i.e. we spent maybe the last hundred years trying to break down gender stereotypes. If you're a girl and you like to play hockey, that is fine. If you're a guy and you want to be a dancer, that's fine. You could be a guy and dance. You can be a girl and play hockey. Don't be so stereotyped. Women don't have to wear dresses. What Whatever you do is fine, however you express yourself. And now it feels a bit like we're right back to if you don't like to wear, if you're a girl and you don't like to wear dresses, you must be a boy. Uh, th is that the way you see this as well? Absolutely. And it's funny that you mentioned the hockey example, because that is literally something that is in the BC school curriculum for kindergarten to grade three, the, in the SOGI, which means sexual orientation, gender identity education that's given throughout Canada. And one of their lesson examples is, about um, a girl that likes to play hockey and they're presenting the idea to young children that 
maybe she's not a girl at all because she likes to play hockey. So, you know, it went from when we were kids that there were tomboys and we were told you can do whatever you'd like and that's okay. And now it's flipped around. And if you don't strictly adhere to sex stereotypes, what's now ironically seen as progressive is that you were born in the wrong body and maybe you need to take Lupron um, to block puberty and start taking cross-sex hormones and have surgeries. So it's extremely, extremely regressive and often um, often homophobic because a lot of gender non- non-conforming kids also turn out to be um, gay kids. Maybe we'll kind of wrap things up there. Like I say, there's there's all kinds of different threads we could pull into this and, and talk forever. But um, are there any uh, particular ideas or um, focuses of your talk that you plan to bring out when you come here to Cape Breton? Yeah, I think I, I would like to maybe compare nursing and medicine and the types of research that happens in both fields and just looking at the infiltration of um, both professions by this ideology. Um, and, uh, you know, I can't, I can't say a whole lot. I don't want to get in more trouble than I already am in with my college by <laughs> talking about my job too much. But it is pretty interesting to see how our professions have been overtaken by this stuff. And also now I, I feel like there's a groundswell of disapproval that you see more and more while you're at work, maybe you see the same thing. So I, that's something that I'm interested in um, exploring too. Well, great, Amy. Um, I think with that, we'll uh, call a close to this podcast. And I want to thank you very much again for spending the time with me today. And thanks for agreeing to come late in October. So I hope that people consider coming and meeting you and hearing you in person in Cape Breton uh, at Free Speech and Medicine 2023. We'll, uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.